So yeah, we pray for the Jews in the battle-torn regions and in Russia, in Ukraine. And we pray again, we thank you for your spirit which dwells within us. We pray for the ministry of the uh, Holy Spirit, the ministry of illumination to help us understand what we are learning here as we move on to the book of 1 John. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is our sixth lesson in the spring quarter, and we're moving into 1 John. The title of the lesson is The Light of Christ's Love. So a little bit about the authorship. Um, just like John's gospel, this, this epistle does not say who the author is. Um, we have pretty good historical evidence, though, from Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and Tertullian. Again, Irenaeus was one removed from John himself. Polycarp was discipled Irenaeus, and Polycarp himself was discipled by John the Apostle. And those three said that this John was the author of this letter. Uh, it is difficult to date. There's no time stamps in the letter. Uh, some date it in the early 60s AD, when false teachers departed from the apostles before the Jewish revolts of AD 66 to 70. Remember, Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans in AD 70. If that's the case, then it would be written from Jerusalem, but um, conservative scholars believe, so since I'm conservative, I agree, <laughs> that First John uh, depends quite a bit on John's gospel, and, and uh, that would make it written in the 90s, AD 90s, from Ephesus, because John in his older years was bishop in Ephesus over the seven churches of Asia, remember. And his last book, he wrote to the seven churches of Asia from exile. So the audience of the uh, letter is not stated, but they are Christians, and this is important. As he speaks to them of having their sins forgiven, and he says, in 1 John 2 and verse 12, yeah, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. That is the definition of a Christian. And then also in John, 1 John 5 and verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So getting the audience is important because some people, actually a lot of people, use this book as a test for faith. They use it as a test of whether or not you're a Christian. That is the wrong way to use this book. What this book is for is for fellowship. Okay, to be in fellowship both with God and with each other. And there are some tests for that that he that he poses in here. And that, you know, if you understand that, then this will make much more sense. And because it says some things in this book that are very challenging 
if you're using it as a test for being saved or not, okay, being justified or not. So, and we'll talk about those as we get to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, it was pointed out that this was a kind of a polemic against the Gnostics who were coming to the fore at this time, and John was combating them and their false philosophies. Okay, so the first section is called The Word of Life, and it's verses 1 through 4. And can we get somebody to read that one? Okay, thank you. So verse 1, what was from the beginning? So the question is, what beginning? There are two views on this. One view is Christ's pre-existence with the Father, and the other view is the beginning of Christ's ministry. And I personally favor the latter because of his emphasis on Christ's physical reality here. You know, he says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So I, I believe he's talking about the incarnation. Because um, he talks about these three senses, seen, heard, and touched. So then verse 2, the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And that is a clear statement of Christ's distinctness from and yet fellowship with the Father. Okay, this is the part of the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, this is two of the three personages, personalities of the Trinity, which is very challenging to understand, but clearly taught in the Bible. So he's talking here about physical reality, and that is fighting against Gnosticism. So in your quarterly on page 50, it has a little blurb there about Gnosticism and what the Gnostics were teaching. And they taught that spirit and matter are separate and that spirit is good and matter is evil. And that one does not influence the other. Okay, and John is going to shoot them down as far as that goes. <laughs> so another one of the things is one or more inferior beings rather than God created the world. Then an inferior being rather than God is responsible for the Old Testament. That was one that I had, wasn't aware of. That God has no personality. That humans have no free will. And that Christ was not fully human and his earthly life, earthly life unreal. Now, this one, that humans have no free will, that was picked up by Augustine. He, he was in, into that, and then he came away from it for a while, and then he went into it again. And that is still one of the underlying planks of Calvinism today is that humans have no, no free will. That gives you an excuse for 
to be fair, they would not say that that is true for everything, but only about salvation. Yeah, so, you know, um, and really that's the basis of the tulip of Kelvin, is that if, they t if you take total depravity to mean that you are dead as a stone, then you must be given faith before you can be saved. So they get it backwards, and that, and that leads to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that if you're really a Christian, you will persist in good works until the end of your life and, you know, these other things. But the reality is, is that we do have a will because that's how God made us. He made us in his image. The problem with our will is that we are very reluctant to believe. It's not that we cannot believe. And that is why the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting, convicting the unbeliever of sin. And the sin is about Jesus. We have bad days sometimes, yeah. So I wanted to get that in there because, you know, our church is uh, free grace. We believe that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. That is what delivers you from the penalty of your sin, which is hell. So, and John is not talking about that in this book because all these people have already passed that threshold. They already believe. He's now talking to them about how to have fellowship. So, verse 3, this is a purpose statement of the letter. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So, us, I'm... You know, he's one of the apostles, assuming that's one of the apostles, and that can also be us believers, so that we can have fellowship with each other. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so this book is so that we can have fellowship with others as believers, other believers, and also fellowship with God. And then verse 4 These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So that's his, his other purpose. The apostle's joy would be made complete. It causes joy when a believer moves from believing, from being a Christian, into discipleship. That is God's intent for every single believer. And it is possible for every single believer. Not every single believer does it. And that's what, actually, most of the New Testament, most of the New Testament is the encouragement of that, the encouragement of moving from belief alone into a walk of faith, continuing to believe so that God can use your life. So I wrote down Second John 4 here, and I have forgotten again why I did it. Oh, yeah. In Second John 4, he says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. So when, you know, you know someone who believes, doesn't it make you happy when you see them walking in the truth, when they're starting to say, oh, they're starting to respond to the Holy Spirit and saying, oh, and their lifestyle is changing and the Lord is using them? Yeah. No. 
right. not what God desires. Right. It, he desires us to move on into discipleship, and there's a lot of benefit to that, to doing that. Right. And he's talking about his joy, you know, because he's spent his life doing this. So telling people about Jesus and then teaching them how they should continue to walk with him. Okay, so that is the kind of the preamble, if you would. So the second section is purification from sin. And that's uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2 and verse 2. Anybody want to tackle that one? Okay, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, so verse 5, you know, God is a few things. He is him. I am who I am. But this is another thing he is. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is light. How would you explain that to someone? You see by the light, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, this interesting. He is the source of all physical light, isn't he? Genesis 1-1, or Genesis chapter 1, it's... Right, in Genesis chapter 3, it says then... Not Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That was on the first day. Then Genesis 1, verse 14 says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And so, Dane, when he was preaching on that passage, said something that I hadn't thought about before. And that was, since God is light, he just proclaimed that it would be revealed on day one, which was interesting. It's not like he created it, because he is light. Yeah, and uh, and right, Janet. Yeah, so there's, there's two different meanings. There's physical meaning, physical meaning, he is light. And, you know, <clears throat> so before there were luminaries, there was light. Before the sun and the moon, you know, the sun is the source of light, and the moon is a reflector of light. But even before any of those, there was light. Yeah, and actually, after all of this testing is done, you know, all of history is a test, really. All of it is a test, including the Millennial Kingdom is a test. And after all the testing is done, we go into the eternal state. And in the eternal state, Revelation 22, chapter 5, it says, And there will no longer be any night... And they will not have need of the light or of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. So after, when we're in eternity, just thinking about that is mind-bending, but there will not be a sun. God will be the sun. Sorry. No lamps are needed. No sun. So, yeah, but there's more to it than physical light, and that's what you guys have been talking about. It speaks of his holiness. In God, there is no unholiness. There is no darkness. Now, this is very different from 
some other religious teachings, isn't it? Like the yin and the yang, light and dark. They're complementary, is what they're taught. Yeah, and also the theology of Star Wars. Star Wars has a theology, you know. It's the Force. And there's a good side, and there's a bad side of the Force. And this that's this in, you know, this kind of duality of there must be darkness with light. Well, John is saying in God there is no darkness at all. None. Zero. He is light. There is no darkness. And, and that is going against this idea, this yin and yang idea, you know, this bad and good yeah, side of the force. So this one of, one of the things that God is is light. What are some other things that God is? He's eternal. He's eternal. That's from his name, I am, right? When he says, I am that I am, that's eternality. Right. That's another one from this letter. God is love. God is love. So um, those are the only three I was fishing for. He is the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this quality that God is light, you know, when you, it says God is light, that makes you think of God the Father. It's also true of God the Son. And, uh, you know, this is Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So there is no sin in Jesus. His whole life. He was here in a sinful world like we were born into poverty, you know, worked as a carpenter, uh, tempted by the devil worse than any of us have ever been tempted without sin. So he is light. He took ours yes, upon himself. Yes, yes. Yeah. he paid the penalty for something he never did. Exactly. I know. Yeah, what's amazing to me is that he didn't just pay for my sin, or even anybody living today sin. He paid for everybody's sin from Adam to the last person ever born until eternity. And so that is why the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, of a single sin, that they don't believe in Jesus. Because once they did, their sin would be paid for. Every sin they had. So that is amazing to me. You know, amazing. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. Okay, so you say, I, I believe in the Lord and I follow him. And yet walk in the darkness. So you may be known as a gossip. You may have an affinity for um, pornography. Um, you may, your word may not be very trustworthy. When people, when you say you're going to do something, people don't really know if they can trust you. So, and yet you say you follow the Lord. He says, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
So if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, can a believer do things like that? Yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. And that is what Satan wants to do to believers. He knows, he knows that once you believe, he can't, he can't join you and he's going to hell and you will not join him. He knows that. Satan is a very good theologian. He knows the Bible very well. Yeah, but he wants to make your life ineffective, and especially leaders ineffective. And that's why pastors are really under the gun for spiritual warfare. Because if you can take a pastor down, it will destroy a church. It will destroy many of those people following. And that's what he wants to do. Yeah, he's going after the ones who are hindering his progress yes. toward his yeah. one-world government. <laughs> that is what he is. That's right. That's right. See, and so if you want to be a, a wrench in the devil's plans, it's really not that hard. You just have to follow Jesus. You don't have to make anything up. You just have to say, okay, Lord, how can I please you today? That's all you do. And you throw the wrench in his plans. Yeah. And pray for our pastor. And yes. Yes, please pray for the elders a lot. So John is saying that if you practice hypocrisy, then you are lying if you say that you are in fellowship with God. Then, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So one of the things we do as we follow the Lord is we build fellowship with each other. That's nice, isn't it? I mean, part of the fun of coming to church is, you know, chatting with people and things like having fellowship. I It's fun. I like it. Yeah. And um, sin... Yeah, and sin breaks fellowship, always. Sin will always, because sin divides. Sin divides, it, it kills. And what is death? It is division. And sin kills. So, so yeah, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, and that is all ongoing sin, too. Yeah, so if we're submitted to biblical commands, it will create fellowship. And then verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, now these are saved people, so why, why is he saying we can't say? There are some people who teach that once you're saved, you don't have any sin. It's possible. It's possible not to have any sin. That is contradicted by what John says here. So why is he saying this? I'm holier than you. Um, mm -hmm. And that itself is a sin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. That is what comes from legalism. That's what comes from legalism. So, yeah, um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that we have a new nature, but we, the old one's still there. <laughs> and that is why we cannot ever say that we have no sin until we die.
exactly. Yeah, that's what my pastor in El Paso used to call short accounts, keeping short accounts, you know, because we do sin. And, it, you know, the good thing is to say, oops, hey, that was not good. And then we have the remedy in the next verse. Right. That's the discipleship. And the discipleship is, can be painful. Discipleship can be painful because we have to cooperate. And even in our saved state, there is still, still a certain unwillingness to do some things. I've done that before. Don't we have some sins that are our favorites? And we confess it and we know it's wrong. And we confess it again. And, we do, and you know what? I think that happens. <laughs> I mean, that happens. We have to keep trying. Yeah, that's why I think that, that passage in James that we just finished, uh, confess your sins to one another and things. I, I, personally, I do not think that you sh can't, you should confess every single sin to another person. You confess them to the Lord but there are some that you you might need help, help with, with. Yeah. and yeah. those you go to someone that you trust and say i need your help with this and confess the sin to them and they can pray for you and have accountability yeah, yeah. so and yeah and usually things that are like addictions are like that you you might need a little help from another human as well as the lord god does work through people so those who say that they um, say that they have no sin, they're deceiving themselves. And all of Romans chapter seven talks about the struggle of that. You know, it's the struggle of Paul, who was a saved person, struggling with his sin nature. Yeah, it's not yours. Yeah, that's it. And that's true. That's true of discipleship too, because you can come up with something on your own. That sounds good, that you then do, and at the Bema Seat Judgment, it will be totally ignored. Because the only thing that he will reward is faith. So when, and faith, what that means is after you believe, you start to look at this book, and it says something that speaks to you, an adjustment in your life. And you say, okay, Lord, because you say that, I will do that. Now that he will reward. Yeah, it won't count. Yeah, there's a there's a new uh, film series out called The Chosen. Anybody heard of that? Yeah. The Chosen. Yeah. I looked. I watched one and a half seasons of that. I thought it was very good. And then um, it the the creator is Dallas Jenkins, who was the son of Jerry Jenkins. Who wrote with Tim LaHaye the Left Behind yeah, series? Yeah, yeah, you know. And um, I I came to real to learn that um, he it's he's deeply enmeshed with Mormons in this. Yeah, they're 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 very good productions, and they're 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 they are fiction, and um, so I I would say that Dallas Jenkins is. Um, in sin, and the reason I say that is because of Second Corinthians six: Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers in ministry. That's what he is. So I, I wouldn't tell anybody not to watch it. I think it's kind of like eating uh, meat 
give them to idols, that sort of thing. You know, if it if it's going to harm your, if you feel like it will harm you, you, you know, if you feel like it's a sin, then you probably shouldn't watch it. But, um, you know, all of the mainstream holy movies, if you will, are made by unbelievers. You know, Ten Commandments, the, uh, yeah, I don't know, the King of Kings, you know, all the movies you see on TV. Um, the one that uh, now Campus Crusade made was all of the dialogue is the Gospel of Luke. There is no artistic license in that. So that and that one has been used to save many, many people over the years. But I would just just re think about that. Take it with a grain of salt. Well, you look at what happened. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I I think that. Um, I don't think it's you know personally. I I don't think it's a sin to watch it as long as you're aware. I do think it's a sin for him. Discernment to everything. be in to be in the business with that with him. Um, it has. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a. You know, those movies can save people. Yeah. Just like a Catholic church can save people. <laughs> but there's false teaching. Yeah. 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 The, the Lord can do anything. People. He understands people. Yeah. So, um, okay. First John 1 9 is a verse everyone, every Christian should have memorized, in my view, because it is so needed so often <laughs> if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness see he's already paid for every sin that we've that we're going to do but in order to have fellowship with him just like in a marriage when you fight with your spouse fellowship is broken you have to say yes. I was, you know, I was wrong. Please forgive me for fellowship to be restored, so you get along again. It doesn't stop your marriage to have a fight, but it breaks the fellowship in the marriage, and that's what this is. And that can happen with God. We can the fellowship can be broken with God, so that that relationship is not enjoyable. And this is how you restore it right here. You confess your sins. Jesus will always forgive you. And he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there isn't any, you know, dirty stuff hanging around anymore after you've confessed your sin. So if we say that we have not sinned, that's laughable for one thing, but we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So so if we make God a liar, that is another sin added, added into it, right? Because we have a God who cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. Yeah, sometimes it feels like your hands are tied, though, when you're in, a, in an argument. But it, see, that's what takes faith. Well, we trust the Lord that he'll work it out. We are going to do what he says, even though others have an advantage on over us by cheating, but we trust that he will make it work out anyway. If we do not cheat, he will do it. Yeah. So, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So this letter 
The purpose of this letter is exactly the same as James' letter, the book of James. James also was writing to believers, and he was writing to them about how to live now as believers. That's what John is doing here. I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And then he touches on reality, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, which he already talked about in verse 9 of chapter 1. Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they could be new believers. Yeah, new believers are vulnerable to all sorts of, you know, false teaching and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you the Bible is very important to the believer. So verse 2, this touches on Calvin, Calvinist doctrine too. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? It's wrath absorber. Some, a propitiation absorbs the wrath. So it's not a fun thing to be. The propitiation, you absorb the wrath that is somebody else's. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, the tulip of Calvinism, the T is total depravity, the U is, um, I can't remember what the U is, the L is limited atonement, limited atonement. And that goes directly against this verse. Because Calvinists say that Jesus died only for the elect. This verse says, for the whole world, that includes unbelievers as well as believers. So Calvinism is, uh, right, his, his death, burial and resurrection, like I said before, died for every sin of every human from Adam to the last person ever born. To access that, they have to receive it. Just like, you know, you can get a gift. You get a gift from your Aunt Mabel, who's given you poor gifts in the past. And you get it for Christmas, and you put it in the closet. It may be something awesome. You won't get it until you receive it. That's how it is. Every single person can be saved, but they have to receive the gift. And the problem with us, and this is what total depravity means, is we are reluctant. We are reluctant people to do things that we don't think of <laughs> ourselves. We're reluctant. And that is why the Holy Spirit is convicting people of sin. So um, so that, you know, two that is two of the planks of Calvinism are are not good. And then perseverance of the saints is clearly no good. So that's three of the five. So I'm not a Calvinist anymore. I used to be. Well, I mean, so, you know. Right. Whatever he says that's biblical, yeah, that's we accept. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There are certain things that Calvin <laughs> said that were very biblical, and there were other things that. Mm. Right. Whatever he says that's biblical, we accept. Okay, so section C, a life of obedience. I'll read that one. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, 
and the truth is not in him. That's a verse we need to talk about. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So I wanted to make a comment about the quarterly. Because the quarterly, in two places in this lesson, uses the phrase genuine faith. Okay, so if there is a genuine faith, yes, there has to be something called a spurious faith. And this is the doctrine of the two faiths. And this comes out of Neo-Calvinism. And this is, you know, it is linked with this perseverance of the saints. So if you have a believer who is not acting as a believer, they would say that there's, their faith is not genuine, okay, or it's spurious, and th therefore they're not Christian. Okay, the Bible never says anything like that. The Bible does not say anything of that. There's only faith. Faith is trust. Yeah, there's faith or there's not faith. So when you trust in Jesus' message, he died. He rose from the dead. He claimed to be the Son of God. Okay? That comes with a promise. If you believe that, he gives you eternal life. You are saved without anything else happening. Okay? So this genuine faith or spurious faith is what people misuse 1 John for. 1 John is not talking about the faith that saves you from your penalty. He's talking about the second part of your salvation or the sanctification, practical sanctification, practical holiness. And that delivers you from the power of sin in this present life. If you obey the Lord, you will be delivered from the problems associated with sin in your life as you live it today. And he wants to free you from that. Yeah, you know, every single church member is a hypocrite to one extent or another because of what we read before. If you say you have no sin, you're lying. Um, but as we follow the Lord, we will he, he will gradually cause us to grow. If we try to make ourselves grow, we'll fail. We don't make ourselves grow. We just follow. Yeah, the Holy Spirit does it. So... So this, you know, this, if you have the Gospel of John, chapter 15 
together with this. It's it's very similar. And that is the passage of the vine. And Jesus says to abide in the vine. We have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, that word know is the Greek word gnosis. It means intimate knowledge. For example, Adam knew his wife, and she had a son. So he knew her intimately, didn't he? Because a child was born after he knew her. <laughs> That's how we're to know Jesus. And that is what is available to us through obedience. Um, so this is intimate, experiential knowledge of Jesus. And John 15, 14 and 15 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So there's two things there. If we obey his commands, he calls us his friend. And he also gives us more knowledge, more insight. If you are obedient to the Lord, you will understand more than if you're not. And you'll, yes. Yes, and you'll have the peace. Yeah. So the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So you, if you are a carnal Christian, you cannot say that you have this experiential knowledge of Christ. You're still saved. But, I mean, just like... That's right. I mean, just like I, you know, believed in Jesus when I was very young, and then I was asked when I was in my cardiac fellowship, do you believe in God? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. That is because there's no experiential relationship for all those years. So um, if you want an experiential relationship where he makes himself known and real to you, then you obey him as he, as he speaks to you through his word. And this is how we are useful to God in the world. So verse 6 is the goal. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So that's our goal. That's a target that we will never achieve in this life, but that's our goal, to walk as he walked. And um, verse 7, verse 7 and verse 8 are a little confusing. I'm not writing a new commandment to you, verse 8. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. <laughs> so the, the, the quarterly explains that, and I think it does a pretty good job. The, the, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. You've already heard all of these things. This is what Jesus taught. This is what the apostles taught up until this point. This is all the same thing. The new part is where Jesus in the upper room said, a new commandment I have for you, that you love each other. See, the, in Leviticus it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. It's a higher level of love. Right. Yeah, it's a higher level of love. So one more thing, and then I'll let you go. I know you're. It's I'm going over. Verses nine through eleven. Can a believer hate another believer? That's what he's talking about. The one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brothers in the darkness until now. 
So the, the point I want to make is, what makes a believer hate another one? Because it does happen. What makes a believer hate another one? Well, like fortune boots. I cannot shake That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key. Janet just said forgiveness. You have to forgive. Or you'll hate your brother. And and unforgiveness is can be a problem in the church. Unforgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be willing to forgive. You know, some people hold on to things and it makes them bitter. And it makes their Christian witness terrible. And so you have to forgive. Yeah. Yeah, we need to pray for that, for the ability to forgive, because it is a very difficult thing to forgive when we're hurt, especially hurt bad. It's hard. And increase the division, like we talked about, destroy yeah. relationships. Yeah. You know, destroy churches. So that's the end. Amen. Amen.